Welcome to the South Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. That was good. Love it. <laughs> you know, here we are, the, the, the second Sunday of Advent, and it's also Ugly Sweater uh, Sunday, which I saw a few of us, and I wondered, at first when I got here, I wondered if I got the wrong date. <laughs> but I am seeing that there's a few other folks here. Um, yeah, some are really bad. But... <laughs> I'm glad we can enjoy and, uh, and do that. You know, and uh, during the second week of Advent, like Alex said last week, we have chosen as a church to go through the, um, the lectionary and what uh, scriptures are chosen that churches worldwide would be reading. And uh, <clears throat> so, as Alex said, we don't really have a choice of what we're gonna preach on. But I got a doozy of a good passage because I got Isaiah 40. And um, I want us all to read it together. And as we do, I think we will, um, yeah, I'm gonna turn over this way so I can read with you. But let's just read together. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Oops, I'm sorry, let me go back here. (laughs) I think I've gotta, okay, well, you know what? Maybe we aren't gonna say it together. Maybe I'm just going to say it for you because I want you to hear these verses. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys, level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves, smooth out the rough places, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. A voice said, shout. And I asked, well, what in the world should I shout? Shout that people are like the grass, their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field, the grass withers, the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord, and so it is with people. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintop. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry his lambs in his arms holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Um, Now, if that conjures up any memories of any kind of songs, you know, I think, comfort ye, comfort ye. Yeah, I wasn't a tenor. I'm a baritone. (laughs) My people. Um, And and Isaiah 40, I think there's four songs that Handel used for the Messiah that come from this passage. Pretty amazing passage. Um, 
When I was a kid, okay, I've told many of you this, but some of you may not know, I was a PK. PK stands for preacher's kid. And, uh, you know, sometimes Sunday afternoons, yeah, mom would always cook like an extra chicken or something like that, more than the four of us could eat, and we'd always try to invite somebody over. And uh, uh, somewhere along the lines, my parents got this idea that if, uh, you know, they played classical music, um, we, I guess, could eat better. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and so they, they got this big thing of the Reader's Digest book of light, uh, box of light classical music. And it seemed like every Sunday we'd be playing the Messiah. And here I was a little kid eating to this comfort ye. And all I could think of was, well, if you really wanted to comfort me, you know, let me go put on my play clothes and go out and play football or something like that. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, and things haven't changed all that much. <laughs> I think now when someone says, comfort, Dan, I think of comfort food, uh, which right at the top of the list is kind of pizza. I think of, you know, creature comforts. I've, I've got this... Um, I've got this chair I really like to sit in, and especially when I put on these pajama pants. Uh, comfort. Well, let me tell you, this message, comfort, comfort my people, is very different than trying to make someone comfortable. Um, to speak comfort does not mean to make comfortable. And... Um, you know, as I, as I wrestled with that, um, I read a sermon by a, a, a pastor, and I loved how he started it. And, you know, I speak on behalf of all the pastors on staff. Uh, the reason we're here is, well, yes, we have to try to make South successful. But what really makes South successful is when each and every one of you find God's best for your life. And sometimes that may not be trying to make you feel better. So as a pastor, I just have to tell you, um, and you know, I'm one of those guys, I like being liked, and I like people feeling better. But I'm trying to learn how to be like more of a little velvet colored brick, you know, where, um, <laughs> where it's a gentle hit. so that we can see ourselves having that true comfort that lasts, that carries us into what, what God desires for us. Um, so I asked the question, why did Isaiah get this message that said, comfort my people, comfort them? What's going on that these people are experiencing? And you know, when you look at the rest here, tell her that her sad days are gone. Wow, our sins are, I mean, they've been punished twice over for all her sins. That's kind of an interesting message. Okay, what's going on during this time? Um, there was this large empire, kind of the bully of the day. And I'll just show you this map, um, Assyria. If you look up kind of in the middle, you'll see that big word, Assyria. You look down over toward the lower left, you see Egypt. Assyria was the most powerful in the day. Egypt was kind of waning, but it had been a power. Um, Assyria was going around to expand their empire, and so they were aiming to get Egypt. Assyria was going to send an army all the way down there to Egypt to conquer Egypt. 
the trouble is, on the way to Egypt, there's all these little countries you'll see. And one of those countries was Israel, and one was the southern tribes called Judah. Now, as the Assyrian Empire came down and the conquest, one country after another country after another country would get knocked off. And here was Judah, wondering what's going to happen to us. And so they put their minds together and they started thinking, listen, if we're going to survive, we've got to kind of make some alliances with some of these other countries and build up a big enough army so we can fight the Assyrians. Well, Isaiah was sent by God to tell his people, that's pretty stupid. <laughs> um, that's not going to work. And Isaiah did not have a popular voice at the time. Let me just uh, show you some of these verses um, that, that come previously. In a, uh, Isaiah 30, you said, no, we're going to get our help from Egypt. They'll give us swift horses for riding into battle, but only the swiftness you're going to see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing after you. Woo. Um, you know, it, it crept over into their area of worship. And Isaiah said to them, and so the Lord says, these people say they are mine, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Uh, I, I use a translation called the NLT. It's called the New Living Translation. And I love the footnote that comes in here. It just says, the Greek version says, so let me show you what the Greek version says here. The Greek version reads, their worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Boy, you know, when we hear those messages of the prophets, it starts to get a little too close to home sometimes even though this was thousands of years ago. But it's relevant for us today to take warning. Um, another verse. The wisdom of the, of the wise is going to pass away. The intelligence of the intelligence is going to disappear. What sorrow awaits those who try to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their evil deeds in the dark? The Lord can't see us, they say. He doesn't know what's going on. How foolish can you be? Ouch. Um, and then you kind of have this message because you despise what I tell you and trust instead in oppression and lies calamity is going to come upon you suddenly it's going to be like a bulging wall that bursts and falls and in an instant it's going to collapse and come crashing down you're going to be smashed like a piece of pottery okay now, I would just tell you, the, the challenge that we started to look at this morning was comfort, comfort you, my people. That's in chapter 40. These verses I've been telling you about are in verses, chapters 1 through 39. And I'll tell you, reading chapters 1 through 39 many times is like a Debbie Downer. <laughs> and you just have verse after verse of challenge and challenge. And then finally, God comes to Isaiah and says, I want you to comfort these people. Um... You know, the, the purpose of the prophets is very interesting. Now, Eugene Peterson is a fellow who wrote the message. Many of you use the message, that paraphrase, it's a great one. Um, and he says this about the purpose of the prophets. One of the bad habits we pick up early in our lives is separating things and people into secular and sacred. We assume the secular is what we are more or less in charge of. 
our jobs, our time, our entertainment, our government, our social relations. The sacred, on the other hand, is what God is in charge of, worship in the Bible, heaven and hell, church and prayer. We then contrive to set aside a sacred place for God, designed, we say, to honor God, but really intended to keep God in his place, leaving us free to have the final say about everything else that goes on. Prophets will have none of this. They contend that everything, absolutely everything, takes place on sacred ground. And I would tell you today, I, I love the fact that you're here this morning. I, I love the fact that it's, you know, kind of full. I think that's great. But I want you to know, if that's all your Christianity is, you're missing out on God's purpose for your life. Because following Jesus Christ is a 24-7 occupation. And it, and it should characterize everything we do. And the prophets spoke to that. And Isaiah speaks to that. And now God calls Isaiah to step in and speak comfort. Now, in the midst of their disobedience, in the midst of their turning away and trying to have alliances with other countries, in the midst of their depending upon their own economies, Isaiah still gives them hope. Um, he says here in chapter 30, so the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion for the Lord is faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you who weep no more, you will weep no more. He will be gracious if you ask for help. He will surely respond to the sound of your cries. That's in the midst of their disobedience. That's in the midst of their disillusionment. And God says, comfort, comfort my people. So how does he do that? What is the challenge that Isaiah has to be able to comfort the people of God. Let's go on to the next few verses. Um, and let, let me say this, this first movement, it, it kind of said a call to, to comfort. And when we think of that word comfort and speak tenderly, it really, when you put those two words together, those two concepts, it means speak to the heart. Speak to the heart of the people. And in order to speak to the heart, you've got to listen to the heart so you know how to speak to the heart. The next is um, kind of a movement of preparation. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys, level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves, and smooth out the rough places. Now, to us, that's a, that's a wonderful passage. I wonder, though, to the folks back then, how exciting that would have been. Because, you see, the conquering kings would do just that when they were making their entrance into the areas they had just conquered. Now, I read about that happening during the Roman times in the Roman Empire. The, you know, the Caesars would go in in triumph, and, yeah, they'd level everything to make it a smooth path. Uh, but this is about 600 years before that. And so I wondered, well, does, did that happen with Assyria? Did it happen with Babylon? Some of those great empires back then. Um, there was a queen of Assyria, and this is the only thing I could find, but it's wild. Uh, 
I, I think her name, it's in here. I'll have to, Sesamia or something like that. L- let me read this for you. Uh, in her march to Ecbatana, she came to the Ceresian Mountain, which extended many furlongs and being full of craggy precipices and deep hollows could not be passed without taking a great compass about. Being therefore desirous of leaving an everlasting memorial of herself, as well as of shortening the way, she ordered the precipices to be digged down and the hollows to be filled up, and at a great expense she made a shorter and more expeditious road, which to this day is called from her the road of Semiramis. That was the queen's name. Afterwards, she went into Persia and all the other countries of Asia subject to her dominion. And wherever she went, she ordered the mountains and the precipices to be leveled, raised causeways in the plain country, and at a great expense, made the ways passable. At a great expense. And you can just interpret that at a great expense of being, you know, it's not her people that are building this. It's all those folks that had just been enslaved by her armies. And I can imagine that this message that Isaiah is giving would would conjure up some of these thoughts of the rumors that they had heard that had happened to some of these other countries. Um, Would it bring a a warm, happy feeling? Isaiah says, make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Not for another conquering king for our God. I'm not sure how many of them would have heard that the first time. For our God, fill in the valleys, level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves, smooth out the rough places, then the glory of the Lord's gonna be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. That's his message that he's bringing, this voice that's crying out, that's to bring comfort. God is coming. Get ready for God by leveling things, by, by providing a smooth pathway for this God to come. And I'm sure all of these people in Isaiah's time are trying to figure out, I wonder what that's gonna look like. And that generation lived and died. And the next generation lived and died. And it lived and died. And it lived and died. Until, until someone came on the scene And about 700 years later, um, this voice was fulfilled by Jesus' cousin. And we read it in Luke chapter three, but you know, you can go to all four of the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all mention this, and they all quote aspects of Isaiah, but Luke quotes the whole thing. At this time, a message from God came to John the Baptist, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness, and Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him, the valleys will be filled, the mountains and hills made level, the curves will be straightened, the rough places made smooth, and then all people will see the salvation sent from God. And folks, this is where Advent comes into this whole picture of Isaiah 40. Um, you know, when I say that, I, I, I love um, lots of little things about this season. I mean, Carrie and I have nativity sets around the house. We, uh, we have Advent calendars. We, we have the greatest Advent calendar. Uh, our sister-in-law has sent it to us, I want to say, the last 10 years. She sends us this digital Advent calendar, and we sit there clicking these boxes and it's so much fun. But I gotta tell you, I have never clicked a box 
and seen this hairy, wild-looking guy in camel skins with honey dripping out of his mouth. He's just, for some reason, not included in Advent calendars. And to tell you the truth, he is pivotal. He is pivotal because he announces the coming of the Savior. And he's the one who's going and says, prepare the way for the Lord. Level the pathways. Fill in the valleys. Get ready for the coming of the Lord. That, folks, is Advent. That is Advent. Um, So what did John say? What was this comfort that John had to say for the people. Here he goes, uh, right the next few verses. When the crowd came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of vipers. Now what if I looked at you guys and said, you guys are a bunch of snakes. (laughs) How happy would we be? You brood of vipers who warned you to flee God's coming wrath. Prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. In fact, you know, we could probably update that translation for us. Don't just say, hey, we come to church every week. John would say, that means nothing. What counts is, are we preparing the way to meet this king? And that's where he's got that, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins. You have cleaned the decks. And that word repentance or repent, it's a, it's a word metanoia in Greek. Metanoia in Greek. Um, and it's a powerful word. And I believe that that aspect of repentance is this, I'll say, comforting message that God brings to us in preparation for us to meet him repentance. And I think we have a bad rap for repentance. Many times we have this idea, well, repentance is basically say, yeah, I I did it while I'm really sorry. Uh, That's an apology. I don't even know if that's an apology. (laughs) Maybe we say, you know, I did it. I'm very, very sorry. That's still just an apology. That is not repentance. Um, Repentance is, is turning around. It's, it's acknowledging that this took place, but it's turning away from it and saying, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do it again. Um, Carrie and I were talking a little bit about this. And I was just explaining, you know, repentance and metanoia and telling her about the Greek. And, and Carrie, yeah, she's just sitting there. Carrie is my wife, by the way, in case some of you wondered. <laughs> um, and Carrie just says, you know, repentance is not, to repent is not punitive. To repent is restorative. Wow. I sat there and said, man, I've lived with this woman for 48 years. <laughs> My goodness, what wisdom. This, this concept, metanoia, is restorative. And that is comfort that brings us back on that path to God himself. Um, Another woman who I think is very wise, Fleming Rutledge, said this about metanoia. The New Testament Greek word for this is metanoia, repentance. It doesn't just mean being sorry. It means a change of life. 
It means reorientation toward a different goal, the kingdom of God. It means a whole different way of being. It doesn't mean loss of self-esteem. No, quite the contrary. Repentance is for the strong. Perhaps you've noticed this. The person who steps forward and takes responsibility is the leader, not the weakling. Repentance takes responsibility for the actions, but it turns away from those actions. Um, now, personal confession. So, I don't know how many years ago it was. I was preaching on some of the same stuff. And I had this illustration. I loved it. And for the life of me, I could not find it. <laughs> But I'll tell you just the, the bare bones of it. I can't tell you a name or anything like that. But there was a gentleman who was a, a freedom fighter in Poland. It was during the German occupation. He was part of the resistance. He, he fought for their uh, freedom from Germany. And eventually Germany got driven out of Poland, and there was a provisional government set up, and he became part of that provisional government. And then as we know, uh, after the war was done, things were divided up and Russia came in and took over Poland. Um, and then under the kind of idea that Russia and this provisional government were going to work together and just kind of develop, uh, Russia invited the 16 men who were in this provisional government. They invited them to come to Russia and they would hammer out some details. Well, they flew them to Russia or they drove them to Russia and in the process then they imprisoned them. And they were going to try them. And for four months, they interrogated all 16 of these men. Uh, and there was some physical torture. There was some beating, but that stopped pretty quickly. And what took its place was more psychological torture, psychological inquisition by planting doubts in their mind, by accusing them of actually working for the Germans, accusing them of crimes of war, accusing them of misleading their own people. And day after day after day, they were hammered with these statements. And one by one by one, these 16 men succumbed. There were a few that actually committed suicide. But the rest signed statements that said, yeah, we're guilty except for this one guy. And the way he combated their daily interrogations is by saying, you know, you're right. I did do that stuff. But you know, after that, I came to know Jesus Christ. And I firmly believe he has forgiven me and I have turned away from being violent. I have turned away from taking advantage of my own people. I've turned away from misusing women. I have turned away from thing after thing after thing. I have left that. I have repented of that. And you can accuse me all you want because it's true, but I'm not guilty anymore because Jesus' blood covers me. And during those four months, he did not break. Now, he was found guilty because he probably admitted. But he served out his sentence and he returned to his country healthy. And I would tell you that metanoia, that repentance, is a powerful road 
to the comfort that each and every one of us desire because it brings us back to the God who created us. So I was frustrated that I couldn't put a picture of this guy up because I know there's a picture someplace. But the more I thought about that, I realized, you know, I think every one of us can stick our face in that picture. No, we aren't arrested by the Russians. No, we're not interrogated maybe by humans. But I'll tell you, every day, the enemy shoots his darts at us and says, you're not worthy of the salvation that Jesus supposedly has done. You, you did so much stuff. There's no way God can really use you. And I would tell you, that's not true. Not at all. Comfort, comfort ye my people. Tell them that their sins are forgiven. And their sins are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ that covered the sacrifice for us. So that now, yes, and I would encourage each and every one of us, you know, repentance still takes acknowledging and it takes turning away from it and walking away. Isaiah continues going on in, in chapter 40. We had that, that call to comfort. Then we had this movement that's more like prepare for the coming of God. And now we have this movement that's more like behold your God, see your God. And it starts with this in verse six. A voice said, shout. And I asked, what should I shout? Well, shout that people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers, the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And you may say, that doesn't sound too good to me. But I would tell you, that goes right along with what Isaiah has been preaching to these people through chapters one through 39. Because he's saying, don't get all tied up in these human alliances, in all of this man-made idea of what's really gonna bring us peace. No, get tied up with God's commands to you. Submit to God. Because any kind of human idea is gonna fade away and disappear. And I would also say any kind of human institution is gonna fade away and disappear. And if that's all we are here at South, we're not gonna be here in a few more years. But I believe we are much more because I believe this room is full of people who have repented and who trust God for eternity. This, this message um, actually it comes out later uh, again like 600, 700 years later the apostle Peter repeats these words um, in 1 Peter chapter 1 love each other deeply with all your heart for you've been born again but not to a life that will quickly end hear that? we, we aren't in something that's going to wither away so quick your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God as the scriptures say people are like grass their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you.
That word is the good news that came when John the Baptist said, let's level the place so that God can come in. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that takes our lives and and doesn't make them any more like a fading flower, but makes us for eternity. And so we come to that last phrase of Isaiah in chapter 40. Shout, don't be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. And in that picture, behold your God. He comes in power. He he comes to solve the problems of what we have in this evil, broken world. Do you trust that? To be able to step out upon that? The people of Judea had a very hard time doing that. And I believe we do too. But that's where we need to encourage each other to be able to trust God more and more, to speak into each other's lives. Hey, we have turned from sin. We have turned from evil. Can we encourage one another to keep doing that? God is powerful. But in the midst of that power, here's this picture that God is also tender. He's a shepherd. He holds, he holds the lamb to his chest. I just see him cradling the lamb. He leads the sheep along. That is God. Um, you know, I, I, I've never had an experience with sheep. Um, I've never been a farmer. But I do have to tell you, a number of years ago here at South, I was able to take a group of middle schoolers for an overnight up to Wellington, Colorado. And up there, there's the Denver Rescue Mission has a farm where different folks who have yeah, been involved in the rescue mission and want to help change their lives, they go up there and there's, there's discipleship training, there's teaching, but also they, they learn different vocations and one of those is how to farm. And uh, so I, I took the middle schoolers up there. We stayed overnight. We had a great time. Uh, a few weeks before we got there, there was a pig that gave birth to some piglets. And <laughs> now it's not a lamb. <laughs> and I must admit, um, I don't have this documented, just like I didn't have that Polish guy documented. But, you know, a few moments after this picture was taken, I mean, the little piglet was squirming around. Um, the, the little piglet piddled. <clears throat> and uh, fortunately, I was not in the line of direct uh, at- attempt. But after that got out of his system, you know, this piglet kind of settled down. And I can tell you, I, I kind of held this piglet, and I just kind of looking at it, and we're just there having a moment together. <laughs> and, and before I knew it, uh, I, I started to see this pig's eyes just kind of start to blink. And pretty soon he was asleep. And, uh, and the, the guy who came and put the piglet in my arms, you know, the, the Denver rescue guy, came up to me and said, wow, you got away with pigs. <laughs> I would tell you, I, I think what happened 
I think what, well, one, he piddled, and that, that took a while. But I think what really happened was, as I held him against my chest, he could feel my heart beating and relaxed him. And little by little, he fell asleep. And you know what? It takes me back to that first word, comfort ye my people. Speak tenderly. Speak to the heart. Listen to the heart. And I think God calls us to rest in his arms and listen to his heart. And yes, we've got to prepare the way. Yes, it may not be comfortable. But I will tell you, it is the eternal comfort that I believe each and every one of us desire. Mm. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you, oh boy, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God Almighty, your plan to come to our earth, to come uh, and then prepare us and tell us that this is the way of comfort. And yes, we know it's a costly way. It cost you everything. But you offer to us peace. You offer, offer to us hope. Help us, Father, to trust you, to walk with you, to leave whatever the enemy may, may attack us with, and instead to entrust us into your loving forgiveness and covering. Boy, may we walk into your best for us. We love you, Father. Amen. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us by partnering with us. You can give online at southfellowship.org give. And thanks for listening. We hope you have a great rest of your day.